Hey world, before we begin, I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening to the Humble and Honest Podcast, especially during one of the most unprecedented times in our history with the coronavirus. It means a lot, even if you are dealing with some hardships of the coronavirus personally or just some boredom of being quarantined at home, whatever the case may be, it means a lot that you take the time to listen to this episode, even for a few minutes. With that said, Let's dive into today's episode of the Humble and Honest Podcast. Hello world, this is Stephen Francis and you're listening to the Humble and Honest Podcast. Today's episode is with Cole and Caitlin Zick. Cole and Caitlin Zick are passionate about seeing the church come together to be effective and thrive in every area of life. They became directors of the Moral Revolution in 2017 and openly share their marriage story in first five years of sex in marriage to start a healthy conversation and begin to unfold God's design of sex. They also have four beautiful children together. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Cole and Caitlin about sexual identity, how the church has mishandled sexual matters, and how Christian couples can have passionate and romantic marriages long after the honeymoon. This conversation is definitely not for the kids, but this conversation will also strengthen the family. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Cole and Caitlin Zick. Kate and Cole Zick, this is such an honor to have you guys on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're honored too. It's uh, it's exciting to, I love just connecting with other ministry leaders, you know, cross pollinate and sharing information and resources. It's it's really kind of the best, isn't it? Absolutely is. And you know, the reason why I wanted to have you guys on my show is because you've been a big influence on my life and my ministry, and I want people to know all about it. But let's start from the beginning. Can you guys tell me your story, especially when it comes to this issue, sex, sexual identity, your story with those things, how it brought you together and got you involved with the moral revolution? Well, um, so there was a garden and Adam and Eve were in that garden. (laughs) A serpent came in. (laughs) That's where it starts. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I think our story is what pulled us in to moral revolution. You know, we were youth pastors for 11 years. I wanted to be a youth pastor forever. I think it is the best job on the planet. Um, I miss those kids all the time. And um, I don't miss the like late nights and no weekends and no personal space whatsoever. But other than that, I miss everything else about being a youth pastor. (laughs) Uh, And so about two and a half years ago, so back in the middle of 2017, we got a call from some, at the time, were really acquaintances of ours, Ben and Havila Cunnington. They were the former directors of Moral Revolution. Moral Revolution has been around since 2009, was birthed out of Bethel Church in Reading by Chris Valadin, who is the executive pastor here at Bethel. And they called and said, hey, would you guys consider coming and, and taking over Moral Revolution, which to lead a ministry about sexuality and purity has been a dream of ours since we were dating. Yep. You know, early parts of marriage. Yeah. So. so we met my senior year in high school and fell in love pretty quickly. And then our, and have never fallen out of love. I must say that. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on that. 
Definitely. That's the real success. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, and so for like our first year of college, we ended up dating cross country. And I'll never forget, like it was back before iPhones and texting and FaceTiming and all of this beautiful technology. So it would be like you had to wait till your minutes were free, like at 9 p.m. to be able to talk to each other. And I remember talking on our flip phone, flip phone across country of just dreaming of doing something like this one day because we were so passionate about healthy sexuality and purity. And um, really, our stories do lean into it where I was very sexually promiscuous as a young teenager before I knew Jesus. And so I, it's one of those moments of like, if somebody would have just told me there was another way, I would have taken it. And then Cole has a very distinct story of just staying here and never being with another woman, never seeing pornography, only saying I love you ever to me. So we just have these like crazy radical stories of purity and redemption of purity coming together that we're like, we just want to share this with everybody, um, the truth about what God says about sex. Yeah. Great job. Wow. Summed it up so well, babe. Okay. <laughs> That's so powerful. And something very unique about your story is that in the pursuit of purity, if you will, even after you got married on your honeymoon, nothing happened. It, it, am I getting the details <laughs> right about that? You are getting the details right about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think few, there's so, I mean, there's so many things to unpack even in that, that little statement or question. You know, one of the things, so Caitlin had become sexually active in middle school, but she had never actually had sexual intercourse, right? She had done everything but with more partners than she can count, which is kind of a lie that our generation has started to believe is like, hey, anything but sex is okay. They believe there's no strings attached. They've believed a lot of those statements, those mantras that really, I believe the enemy has sown into our culture to create distortion of what sex really is. Sex is meant for deep, intimate connection between a husband and a wife that causes a bond that is stronger than every other relationship in our life. All of those statements contradict that reality. If there are no strings attached, then it's not meant for bonding for life. If anything but sex is okay, then it's then all of those things that are leads up, lead ups, kind of like a ladder to intimacy All of that stuff all of a sudden just becomes games and has no meaning to it, right? And so anybody that's ever, anybody that's sexually active knows that's just not true. Sex is deeply connected. You know, there's no way to get around that. And so when we got married, even though Caitlin hadn't had actual sexual intercourse with anybody, she had a lot of past trauma that started to come up in our marriage Mm -hmm. from these moments that she felt socially pressured. And then on my side of it, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Like I had, I mean, I had never even seen a pornography movie, never masturbated, really had zero knowledge of it other than I knew the mechanics of what sex was. And so that's one of the things we tell couples all the time. You know, that's another mindset is people think, well, I got to know what I'm doing for my wife. Uh, We, I had no clue. Neither of us wish I would have had a clue. We both have been very happy and fulfilled in discovering together and the beauty of learning new things together sexually and discovering new things together has been a pretty significant part of our bonding process, which I think anybody in our situation says the same thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, on our honeymoon night, we tried to have sex, couldn't work, couldn't, didn't work, wasn't happening. We actually called our pastor that married us, put him on speakerphone and we're like, God, things aren't working. It doesn't fit. And what are we, what are we doing wrong? We need you to tell us what is going on here. Oh, oh, yes. 
It was wild. Because it's not talked about. And so even my narrative then once, you know, becoming a Christian and being in the church, preparing for my wedding day and never having intercourse, like really the only messaging I got was like, it's going to hurt really bad at first and then you're going to be fine and it's just like going to be fireworks. So there was no actual conversation about what, what is reality to expect, especially with my past or even just the normal workings of a female body. I'm like, I was clueless. So um, our expectations were definitely not met on our honeymoon. We had some definite failed expectations. Yeah. Now she, she, she surpasses all my expectations now. <laughs> that, that was not happening back then. Well, and then part of it too, once we started to get into our marriage and unpack things, Caitlin discovered, we discovered she had a physical issue down in her, her privates that needed to be addressed by a doctor. In addition to that, she, we once we got through that, she realized, whoa, I'm attaching all of my past experiences to you and our current sexual intimacy, even though stuff had happened 10 years prior in a very different season of life. Really kind of never imagined the impact of doing something when you're 13 and in middle school and that thing having an impact when you're 25 and married or 26 and married. That was something that we never even would have imagined could be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. An easy way to put it is that I had believed lust for so long that I couldn't believe love was real. My brain, my mental pathways, my belief system, even though I wouldn't have agreed with it, would be guys only want one thing. My body is just an object. It's my job to please. Like all of that is what I was subconsciously believed and you know, wanted to be lusted after like all of this, like warped thinking that I couldn't believe true love, even though I was with a man who'd never been with anybody before I could trust I was safe with I still couldn't get past Oh, I'm still just a body or an object. Mm. That's really difficult. But I'm so grateful that you guys have figured those things out and are now even in a place of leadership to speak to the people that are still in the places that you guys kind of had to overcome, both in your singleness and in marriage That's super powerful. And the thing about that, too, is that we're living in an age right now where uh, masculinity, femininity, modesty, all these important things that people are trying to pursue with healthy sex and sexuality. The, the question is, what does healthy look like? What does proper look like? And there are sometimes things that have even been spoken in the church that didn't necessarily always match what I believe the Bible has always said about these things. So I'm curious to know from you guys, how do we live out biblically this pursuit of masculinity, femininity, and how has the church hurt and helped in that pursuit of having yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of that has, has become very skewed. You know, a lot of it's relative to culture, right? Most of the time when people are talking masculinity or femininity, you're talking, does he play with GI Joes or does she play with Barbies? You know, and, and, and it kind of a lot of times boils down to what people are interested in. The problem there is what about the young boy who doesn't care for sports, right? Like that's, you've even seen that in sitcoms and old TV movies, like a dad with his daughter, if, it's, if the guy that her daughter wants to date doesn't like sports, well, I can't trust that guy. What's wrong with him? What do you mean he doesn't like football, right? So we've taken these very shallow, temporary things in culture and associated them with gender. And if you don't fit in that box of wanting this or liking this or being entertained by this or valuing this, well, then you must be on the other side, right? Like you must be gay or you must be this or you must be confused about your gender 
we've started to attach all of this identity confusion simply around what we like and our interests. And I think that's really tragic because that's what's that's what I think has begun to sow a lot of that confusion, right? Like, can I be a man and not have and not have any concern about what happens in a professional sport? Well, absolutely I can. And yet at the same time, there's this underlying subconscious thought that, no, you can't. You have to look this certain way. And I think the challenges of that, not, not at the same time, I think that there, is a, there are valuable gender roles that, that is outlined in scripture, right? And so I think that's where we take our pointers there is what does scripture say? How does scripture identify the roles of males and females and what, what we're, how we're to be in relationship with each other? And nothing you see in scripture has anything to do with your interests and what you like to watch on TV or what you like to play with. Right. Like like what type of toys that you like to play with as a four year old. I mean, we're labeling kids. We're, we're right now in culture. We're encouraging kids to have sex changes just because they like to play with a different type of toy at four or five years old. I mean, that's just mind blowing. I used to play with my sister's dolls with them all the time. We used to play house and we play with the dolls. And I'll tell you, I never once questioned if I was attracted to women or men. I just like to play with dolls. I enjoyed playing house when I was a kid. Didn't have any it, it had nothing to do with my sexuality. Um, it had everything to do with, I want to play with my siblings, right? So in the church, we need to do a better job of disassociating interests, likes from gender and sexuality, right? Like those two things don't need to go as hand in hand as they are. Obviously, the next part of that question is a little bit different. I don't know if you want to pause on that or keep going. If you have anything, babe. Well, um, yeah, I would just say, because you were speaking somewhat to just masculinity, mm-hmm. I guess kind of both you were yeah. talking about. With femininity, I think for me, I am, I was a perfect example of being raised by culture, like without any voices from the church or from some, you know, from another source. And the way that femininity is skewed in our culture is so broken. Like I only found my worth and my value and how good I looked, how low my shirt could be, how many guys were blowing me up. So it's like, and we, you know, the, the messaging we get around femininity and from different movements is so confusing because it says like, you know, me too movement, don't abuse me, but then let me shake my butt to get more power and, you know, and more like advantages. So we have so many like toxic messaging that have raised girls on how and where to find their value and their worth and boys where to put that, you know, like it's just so confusing and so important that the church speaks to it so that women and girls grow up knowing who they are outside of what's on the outside. It's like, Biblically, it's all about what's on the inside. God sees the heart, making sure we get a healthy inside to get a healthy outside. But a lot of times that's not talked and put into perspective. Right. I mean, and then you get to that second part of that question, Stephen, where you're talking about what the church has done. I think that there's a lot to to that answer. I think to, to break it down in the most basic form, we have forgotten the grace part of the justice message, right? It's the role of the church. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. Their message wasn't without justice, where they were giving very clear instruction, clear direction, at times reprimand at times, strong correction. That's that's a needed, important part of church leadership. But we've done it without giving the gracious space that breaks shame, that that allows the adulterous woman to be inspired to go and live no more, to go and sin no more, rather. You know, I think what the church has done is we have condemned sex outside of marriage, but we haven't celebrated sex inside of marriage. And so we've created a very confusing message where we've said, 
Don't have sex till you're married. Got to be a virgin. And, and all of our messaging has been centered around, you're horrible if you do this. Virginity, 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 virginity. And then we've done nothing to say, now when you get married, man, this is, God's designed it this way. It's amazing. It's intimate. It's connected. You know, most of the time when sex is talked about, it, even in the church, it's like, the husband can't get enough of it, and the woman gives it to him because it's her wifely duty and gives it to him only when she has to. Like, how many times have we heard that message? So if all of our music and TV shows and movies are all celebrating sex outside of marriage, and then the church is condemning sex outside of marriage and not celebrating it in marriage, our children, our 16, 17-year-olds, they're not seeing sex celebrated anywhere where God has talked about. So if I'm not seeing something celebrated wherever the places that God has talked about, what does that tell me about that thing? Well, I need it, it's then I need to associate shame to it. I need to hide it. I need to be quiet about it. I need to keep it to myself because clearly none of the people who love the Lord are talking about this. And I think that is one of the biggest travesties of the Christian church's message is that We've created rules without relationship that has amounted to religion. Where when I'm in deep relationship with my father, all of a sudden his rules feel like protection rather than legalism. And so a lot of times now, our generation, you know, our, my generation, your generation, Stephen, we're so scared of legalism that we don't even live in obedience anymore. Because we've overcorrected to the legalistic rules that the church was throwing out in the 90s and the early 2000s of do this or else, don't do this or else all these things, but all of that came without relationship as the core. You know, so when I know that the father loves me, that God is good, all of a sudden I receive a message of, hey, it's best to wait till you're married for your own heart and your own mind. I receive that very, very differently. And I think that's one of the areas I love to see the church redeem. Like, hey, virginity is a fruit of purity. Virginity is not purity. Like, let's not make virginity a golden calf any longer. Let's make virginity just a fruit of a healthy whole individual rather than making that action the whole image or the whole reward of, of a good Christian life. And we went a lot of places there, but. No, that was so powerful. That was so powerful. Thank you. And, you know, the thing about this, especially for me, I'm a pastor and I meet with young people, not just young people, but people of all ages and demographics that deal with shame because of sexual past and sexual struggles. And the biggest issue that is constantly coming up is porn and masturbation. And in regards to shame and also even discovering ourselves, I had another uh, pastor, Nick Stumble. I had him on the show and had him speak to this, but I want to hear from you guys. In regards to the shame element that sometimes comes from that many times comes from the church and other parts of society and culture but then also the other spectrum of we have parts of society and culture that are saying in order to discover yourself watch pornographic things what are your thoughts in regards to the porn and masturbation situation because this is something that is super big but it's actually not spoken about in church as often as it should be. True that. Amen and amen. Yeah. I think, I mean, the first thing about shame that I always think of is what shame loves to do is instead of us thinking, oh, like I failed, I made, like I had a poor moment and I failed. It tells us I'm a failure. Like it, it's not, you can't separate the two. So then you feel so ashamed that it causes you to go more into isolation, more into secrecy, more into the dark. 
which we know that when we're isolated, that's when the enemy has influence because there's no truth coming in. There's no, you know, light, no accountability. So he loves to have us in shame and get us further down that lane rather than just bringing it into the light. And I think the church, you know, historically hasn't been good about vulnerability and authenticity. And I think we're seeing a big change in that. If anything, we need to see a change in that and then still a call to holiness instead of thinking, oh, then it's legalistic, you know, because sometimes now it's like, oh, I'm super vulnerable. I failed. It's like, it's okay. No big deal. It's like, no, no, no. You're, you are called to more. You are better. We're going to live in obedience. So I think what we need to see and what, like you said, with porn and masturbation are such a huge thing, but very rarely talked about. I think a lot of the reasons is because of shame in leadership. Like if nobody's talking about it, we can't assume that all leadership is free. So then it's like, it's like, it goes down. Like when we speak at churches, we're like, handle this with your leadership first with a, like with the open conversation of vulnerability of we're going to walk you into freedom, not you're going to lose your job. You're going to get fired. You're going to lose your reputation. Like shame wants us to believe that this is insurmountable. Like we'll never come back. Like we'll we'll forever be ruined if we come out about this. Mm -hmm. But that's why I think it's rarely talked about is because the people who would be starting the conversations have their own shame. And it could even be shame from the past. Something that happened when they were a kid that introduced them to this thinking or like it could be shame from decades, you know, where they just have stayed silent because of this one thing that the enemy keeps pushing on. And so it's so important to start the conversation in healthy circles of leadership and mentors, and then go from there and see people walked into freedom. Well, and I think too, one of the things that the Lord's been laying on my heart probably the last six months has been this phrase of shame breaking holiness. My prayer has been, Lord, help me to figure out how to communicate. You gave us clear instruction in Peter. I think it was first Peter one, maybe second Peter one. I can't remember. I don't have my Bible right here. I should have grabbed it where he says, be holy as he who called you is holy. And that, that just the nature of feeling called to holiness can be shameful for people, right? Like I haven't felt like, if I haven't felt like I've honored the Lord with my lifestyle and I read the verse or I hear a preacher preaching on be holy as he who called you is holy. I immediately hear that through the lens of shame. So my prayer has been like, Lord, we can't get away from preaching the truth, but we also have a lot of shame breaking to do. So how do we preach the truth of what you're calling us to while also dismantling the power of shame over somebody's life? And you know what's so powerful is First John chapter 1, where he unpacks, hey, bring it into the light. Don't leave it in the darkness. If you act as if you're not a sinner, you make me out to be a liar. As a matter of fact, I knew you'd be a sinner. I just ask that when you sin, you confess your sins. And that then once you've confessed your sins, the Father is faithful to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Right. And so one of the things I've begun to discover is the more that people understand pornography and sex addiction, the more shame it breaks and the more freedom they find that they feel they have to get free from it. Okay, so... Let me let me put it like this and let me give you a normal a very common narrative for our for America and our generation. The average youth finds porn between 8 and 11 years old. That's a statistic that's been true since we were children all the way to the current kids right now. Now the way they're finding it is different, right? Like I found a box of magazines that my uncle had. It was the first time I remember distinctly remember finding pornography. Well, it's not magazines anymore. It's online, it's on a phone. Nonetheless, 
we're discovering our generations discovering pornography very, very young. We've also discovered psychologists have uncovered that because of the concentrated dose of chemicals released in the brain at that exact moment of orgasm in pornography, it's more addictive than drugs, actually, because it gives such a heightened peak distrib- distribution of dopamine and serotonin in your brain at that moment. And so you could, it, it really, a lot of psychologists will, will actually go this far to say it is the most addictive drug right now, more addictive than cocaine or heroin or anything else. And so what, what I always encourage people to do is I, I look at the 25-year-old, the 30-year-old, the 35-year-old man or woman that, that's addicted to pornography and say, I understand that you're looking at a 35-year-old version of yourself and you're very angry that you can't get over this. You feel like it's an indictment on your love for God. You feel like it's an indictment on your love of your spouse. You feel like it's an indictment of, of you as a human and you as a good person. But I want to encourage you for a moment. Don't look at the 35-year-old. Look at the nine-year-old that had no idea what they were looking at for the first time. The average kid finds it between 8 and 11. They just accidentally wandered into the most addictive drug that we've discovered thus far in human history. All of a sudden, that 35-year-old needs to step back and say, wait a sec. Man, I was duped into something. Now, we're not saying take the responsibility off of yourself. We're saying give yourself the grace to realize, wait a sec. I fell into something way earlier. This shouldn't even have been available to me. These magazines and these movies and these videos shouldn't even have been available to us, especially at that age. So the fact that they were creates a lot of room to say, oh, I'm not this horrible, awful, disgusting sex monger. I actually am a normal human that was deceived very, very early, just like Adam and Eve at the tree, right? Like I, I was led into a very dark place at a very young, vulnerable age. I personally would go so far to say that children finding pornography is sexual abuse and the creators of that, that allowed that to happen should be held accountable because it's what's feeding our adult addictions. The average kid in America, 90% of our kids will find pornography by the, by the age of 18. Well, have at least seen it, let alone probably be addicted to it already. So when we're allowing our children and our youth to experience that, and I'll bet you a lot of your audience is adult, even if they're adults, they found it at a very early age. And I want to speak to you really quickly to anybody listening that that's the case for you. Pause, give yourself grace and actually allow Jesus to invade that moment. Go into that moment and allow him to speak to that moment and ask him what he thinks about it and what he thinks about you because of it and let him speak to you. And then research and study the science of it. Because once you understand the actual nuts and bolts of the brain, the way the brain works, not only do you feel less like an awful monster, but you actually realize, oh, wait a sec, I can conquer this. I've just been doing it the wrong way. I need to add this and this and this to my prayer life. You know, the church's answer has been pray harder, pray harder, pray harder. Okay, praying is step one. There's step two, three, four, five, and six that we need to add to get freedom from pornography that most of us aren't, we haven't understood or studied the psychology of the way the mind responds to pornography to even know what steps two, three, four, five, and six would be. Just having that knowledge has given so many people the shame-breaking power they need and now the freedom to say, wait a sec. I can actually go after this and conquer this. There is scientific proof that I can change. That's so freeing. Hey world, I hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. I want to let you know of a couple ways you can support the show. 
If you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe, share, and leave a review for the podcast. This is going to help make sure that more people get the chance to know about it. Also, you can be a contributor through Patreon. For as low as $1 a month, you can help support the show and help continue the conversations like you are hearing today. In fact, as a thank you to all of the Patreon contributors, they're going to be getting bonus episodes and unedited content just for them because they are helping make this show possible. If you want to be a Patreon contributor, all you have to do is check out the link that is in the description for this episode for more information. But for right now, let's get back into this conversation with Cole and Caitlin Zick. Man, first off, that was a word. Thank you for preaching uh, that answer to the question. But, um, you know, I I do want to ask this then, because I think everything you're saying is spot on. What is godly sexual expression then for someone that isn't married? Because there's the debate of uh, even, okay, I, I think there is scientific proof that pornography is terrible. But then I've also had people come to me and say, well, masturbation is okay. Or, you know, if I'm dating somebody, then as long as we're not having sex, like Kate said, as long as we're not going all the way, then it's fine. What does it look like for, let's say, the Christian single person, maybe they're dating, maybe they're not. What does it look like for them going into marriage? What, how, do, how do we address that? Um, this is one thing I'm super passionate about because obviously with my story of choosing to wait, I want to say this to anybody out there that's thinking through that stuff. I, we've been married for 13 years, almost 14, dated for three. She's the only woman I've been with, the only woman I've said I'd love you to. And there has never been a moment in my marriage that I've thought, gosh, I wish I would have had more sex and had more experience when I came into this. Not one time. I've only ever been grateful for it. Because what we have to understand about human nature is that sexual behavior, the action of sex is a learned behavior. So whatever setting, context, and narrative you learn it in, it becomes almost impossible to relearn it in the next phase. I, and let me take it back. It's not almost impossible. It's actually, we've actually uncovered it's very possible, but it takes very intentional work and can last months or years for people to relearn the narrative. Example, if I spent eight years looking at pornography and that was the only expression of orgasm I ever experienced, it becomes I need a complete actual reset in the mind before I can connect intimately with my spouse. Okay. And so now when we're talking about dating, we're, you're, you're getting into two, two different parts of that conversation. We're talking about, are we saying what's right and wrong biblically and what's best for us as humans, right? Like those aren't, those aren't actually the same thing here. Okay. So I hope I don't offend you. Well, I don't want to offend you, but I'm also willing to offend anybody. <laughs> um, I, I never preach to get invited back. And, and so I'm going to just preface with this. I want to give you our belief system and the way that we see it and the way that we teach it. And I'll encourage you to correct anything or to shift anything for your following, Stephen. But the way that we view this is this. First of all, I've got to understand the purpose of sex. I believe God designed it. Now my question becomes, why did God design it? I believe Genesis and Matthew are, are insights into that where he says the, the, the man will leave his father and mother, will cleave to his wife. The two will become one 
And what God has brought together, let no one separate. This, I believe, was two things. I believe it was an instruction and a mandate, but I also believe it was a statement of just factual truth as long as his creation is operating the way his creation was meant to operate. And so, again, getting into the science, I now understand my brain is releasing multiple different types of chemicals in neurotransmitters when I'm intimate with my wife. And what those are doing is they're causing me to feel protective of her, defensive over her, a a, a desire to irrationally provide for her, to irrationally lay my life down for her. Vasopressin is one of them that's primarily effective in men that would cause us to irrationally lay our life down for a wife or a spouse or a girlfriend. Um, Why does somebody naturally without thinking jump in front of a car or take a bullet for their loved one? It's because these chemicals have hijacked the subconscious and told you this individual is more important to you than yourself is. Like I now would rather I die than my wife die. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the way that God designed our biology because he knew I would spend 20 years with my family and I would need to love my wife more than I love my brothers, sisters, and parents at one point. So he had to actually give me a bonding agent that would allow me to leave my family and be willing to cleave to my wife. That if push came to shove, I would choose just her, that I wouldn't choose my childhood best friends, kids on my baseball team in Little League when I was 10 that I grew up with, that I would choose her even over my family if I needed to. So he then put that in and said, not only have I called you to this, but I'm going to give you all the strength and the tools to do this. So that's where now it comes into, let's talk pre-marriage life now. Pornography. I think biblically that one's pretty clear because it says that even a hint of sexual immorality is wrong to not look at a woman lustfully. Pornography kind of speaks for itself. He even says that if you look at a woman, Jesus said, forget about adultery. If you just look at a woman lustfully, it's sin. Well, that that one's really clear, right? Like I'm thankful for the verses that just lay it down so we don't have any confusion. Where it gets confusing is what if I can masturbate without looking at pornography or without seeing images? I would say that you you won't find a verse that says that that's a sin. So I wouldn't add to it and say that that is a sin. I think before the Lord, you're probably going to be fine. Here's where here's where it breaks down for me, though. Back to God's design. If God's design was for me to have a chemical attachment to my wife, And I have then learned how to give myself orgasms. I've now learned how to pleasure myself. True intimacy in a marriage is about me putting her first and her putting me first and us bonding together in a form of servitude that causes us. When I, when I look at when she gives me a powerful experience sexually, I look at her and I'm so grateful. I feel more connected to her. And when I give her an experience that's powerful for her sexually, she looks at me and thinks, wow, I, I can't believe you provided that feeling for me, I'm more connected to you. Well, if I've been practicing giving myself that feeling, or I've been practicing multiple partners and we're doing friends with benefits or no strings attached, or I've been with three or four boyfriends or girlfriends that I've been with intimately before I'm married, what actually happens is our brain took our first and earliest experiences of sexuality, capsulized it and said, this is what sexuality is. So now we can't even find a picture of what healthy looks like because we'd experienced it this other way for so long. For us, we've actually discussed this. Okay, so we travel a lot. We're apart many times. 
are we comfortable with one of us masturbating, thinking about the other one when we're on a trip or we're apart? And we've actually discussed this because we, we can't actually find a place where it says that this is biblically wrong, but we've come to the conclusion of, you know, I don't want to do it and I don't want you to do it. We both have that same feeling because I don't want you to give something to yourself that the Lord meant for me to give to you. And so I want, I don't want to rob us of the connection God designed for us to have by creating a self-satisfying habit that doesn't put the other one first. Absolutely. Man, that's a powerful answer. And I do believe that's one that I think uh, broke it down like that. People can really take hold of that as well. Because I think something about this specific issue, people can really take it personally and get defensive about. But I just love your approach to it. Can I ask this real quick? Because you're you're in California. I'm in New York. We're the two hot spots in the country. How have you guys been doing in regards to the coronavirus as a family and everything? We're doing fine. It's definitely just been a total adjustment on how we do life and do family and do school. But it's been a We're in a coaster. small town, too. Reading's a small town. We're not a big city. So I think it hasn't hit our city with the type of panic that it's hit maybe New York City, you know, San Francisco, Seattle. The other side of it is because we're a small town, everybody's got bigger space, right? Like I, we moved from Sacramento and we bought a larger house with a larger yard for way less money than we sold our house for in Sacramento. So our kids have a trampoline and a playhouse and a basketball hoop. And so, I mean, for them, they're like, sweet, I don't have to go to school and I get to play basketball a lot more. <laughs> Getting back to, to this conversation though, you know, you guys, again, you really just do a great job just talking about stuff that sometimes other pastors, leaders aren't comfortable talking about. And recently on your podcast, you had a very great conversation that basically talks about how strong romantic relationships aren't always synonymous with Christian marriage relationships. I'm curious, how do we get that to change for all of the people that are listening right now that are uh, believers and are married? How can we be sure that a a Christian marriage is one that is passionate a lot more times? Because obviously there are times where you have seasons, but there's also ways where you can bring the fire back, right? Yeah, I think... I mean, this is Caitlin's specialty. Well, yeah, this has been a passion of mine, um, mostly because it just that I had to have the attitude of like, I'm not settling for less than God's best for our marriage and for our sex life. Um, It's easy to get into the groove or fall into like a rut of like, oh, just when he wants it or just just enough to get by or it's just and that's just such a sad place to be stuck. And I because most most couples are in a, a marriage where their sex drive doesn't match up. Right. Like. I've in both sides of it. I've talked with couples where the woman has a much higher sex drive than the man, or the man has a much higher sex drive than the woman. And so because one wants it more than the other, it can create a weight to it rather than the freedom that it's meant to create. That the higher and lower sex drive thing is so real. And if you are the one with the lower sex drive, which is for sure me, um, I had to figure out how to not just be live where I'm comfortable. Like our whole thing with marriage is like, we lay our lives down for each other. Like we don't stand up for our rights. We serve one another. It's mutual submission. And so even though I could think, oh, like I don't have that much of a drive, I'd be happy with it, you know, once a week or once a month or whatever. Um, I had to know, well, I know that's not how he feels. So I can't just 
give up and be like, well, too bad, deal with it. So for me, it was just being really intentional to work on growing it. Like just, and it's worth it, but it is work. And I like telling people that are in a situation like me that have a low drive or don't want to do it, or it might even be painful or hard is to keep pressing through and not settle because God didn't give us this to just settle for less. And so it just took me a lot of intentionality, whether that started out with reading a book, one that's great for women with a lower drive, or honestly just women at all, because this book covers just about everything for women and sex. It's called Intimate Issues by Linda Dillow. And it's so it's like reading a book, doing homework in a sense to think, why am I like this? Like what's off? What's broken? Some might just be literally like physically, chemically seeing a doctor, checking out your hormone levels. Like there's so many different things of just what does it take to be intentional? And then for me, I just had to do a whole lot of renewing my mind. So that was from reading the book or from going to counseling. It was my counselor who recommended that book for me. Counseling was so hard and a lot of couples and people, like I have conversations all the time with like, it's not that bad. Like I don't need to go to counseling it's not that bad. But that's what kept me stuck for years before I was willing to get counseling because I just thought, well, my story's not that bad or we're still having sex or, you know, we just make up these scenarios and that really keep us stuck. And so going after Christian counseling, if your marriage life isn't your sex, isn't where you guys want it to be. Like there's no problem with going to a counseling session to figure out what the root. We've done it and it's been life changing for us. Yeah, it, it helped me attend because like some people, you might not have a past like me where I had trauma that I had to work through, but there's still something off. It could have been the way you learned sex, the way you viewed sex, the way, I mean, honestly, we say, even if you haven't seen pornography, a lot of TV and movies yeah. is full of pornography. So you are being told a different story about sex and what it should look like just from Netflix, mm, you know? Yeah. So just figuring out what could be off, it's so worth it. This other great thing that we have on our website that we sell for our friends created are this deck of cards called Sexpectations. And we love telling people about this deck of cards because it will get the conversation. A lot of couples and marriages are probably, if you're listening, you don't know how to communicate about sex. It's an awkward thing to communicate about. Like It feels almost sinful to tell your spouse, I like it when you do this during foreplay. I like it when you touch this or touch there or touch in this way or kiss this or lick that. Like those are conversations. A lot of marriages don't feel comfortable talking about, but it may be the most healthy conversation you ever have because we then begin to doubt. Number one, are we, are we not, we're feeling more comfortable about sexuality when we're talking about it, but we're also then at the same time communicating our wants and needs and Christians need to begin to understand It's not wrong or sinful to have sexual wants and needs. God made you that way. God created us to have those sexual wants and needs. And so we have to get rid of this idea that it's wrong to have that and start communicating that to our spouse. This expectations card she's referencing do a really good job of that Mm -hmm. because they ask a question. It's a very direct, clear sexual question. And most couples, we recommend get the cards, have, have a date night. A date night in, which is all we can do right now. Yeah, date night in. Pull out a card and both answer the card. Just know you'll probably get to card number four or five, and you probably won't make it much further past that before you are doing it. (laughs) They're really incredible because they allow you. Let me say this with it, too. It allows for intentional conversation. You know, I don't know your story, Stephen, but a lot of marriages, if sex isn't hot, heavy, romantic, and fun, it's probably miserable, awful, and a burden. And so when do most people talk about it? They talk about it right after they were let down, they were frustrated, they make some passive aggressive comment or some damaging remark, 
And then neither of them bring it up again because it becomes a point of pain. So they only talk about it during the moment of conflict or disappointment rather than setting aside intentional time when neither of us are emotionally riled up. Neither of us have all of these frustrations. Let's actually have a great dinner together and let's talk about our sex life on purpose. And we're going to use these expectations cards to help us just because it feels so uncomfortable to do it at first and actually sit down and have a healthy conversation about your sex life when your emotions and your hormones aren't running. All of a sudden, we have a very different response to the same thing because my tone is not the same that it was when we were frustrated. The way I say it, the sharpness of my voice isn't there. I'm not on edge. I'm not dealing with sexual frustration. I'm experiencing sexual hope. So now all of a sudden the conversation narrative changes significantly. And before you know it, romance begins to come back in. That hot and heavy passion begins to come back in because we were intentional about conversation and engagement. Hey world, are you looking to find some messages of hope, especially during this time of the coronavirus? I want to tell you about a great program called Ambo TV. Ambo TV brings inspirational live sermons for the most captivating next generation Christian pastors, along with in-studio discussion to a broad multi-platform audience. Check out Ambo TV and at Ambo Network via their social media to see all of the great sermons and pastors that they showcase, including myself, Stephen Francis. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Cole and Caitlin Zick. So good, guys. So good. So two more questions for you. In regards to accountability, growing up for me when, you know, I was trying to live a life of purity and I was even dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, many times it was pretty, pretty shallow, Uh, you know, especially when it comes to purity conversations like, did you do anything wrong? No. Did you do anything wrong? No. Okay, cool whatever. What does proper accountability look like for the single person and then also for even the dating relationships? Because I believe you guys had a conversation about this on one of your uh, podcast episodes as well, too. Yeah, I think accountability is like anything else. It's relational and it's all based on that person's ability to go deep, right? So um, accountability is only going to be what we've made it. it. It can't ever give you something you don't already have. I think that's what people need to realize. Accountability will never give you something that you don't already have as a part of you. Okay. So if you struggle to be honest with yourself and with others, accountability is not going to fix that. If you lie to yourself or you deceive yourself about how bad a situation is, accountability is not going to fix that. If you don't actually hunger purity or righteousness, accountability is not going to fix that. Accountability can't give you the drive, can't give you character, can't give you integrity. What accountability does is it helps protect what's already there. So if I'm willing to be deep and I'm willing to be open and I'm willing to lay it all on the table in a very deep, intimate way with an accountability partner, well, then my accountability relationship is going to provide a ton of life for me because I'm fully honest with myself and with them, you know? One of the lines I always say is, I don't want my subconscious to think that I'm that any secret is safe with me. None of my secrets are safe with me. All of my secrets, I will expose all of my secrets to my wife, to my accountability, 
so that my subconscious knows I will wrap myself out. So guard your thoughts, guard your decisions, guard your actions. And so, you know, I've had to forge very deep relationships. The only way to forge depth in relationship is to talk about very hurtful, painful things that are very uncomfortable. So yeah, we are huge proponents for accountability, but I'm not a proponent for a fake version of anything. So if you're not really willing to be fully exposed, fully accountable, fully honest, fully deep, fully connected. You're really just implementing accountability for the sake of the image of it so that it looks like you're doing everything you need to do. But we all know we've seen people in accountability relationships that we're not giving that relationship everything they had. And therefore, we're not seeing godly results through that relationship either. Yeah, I think defining the accountability relationship from the beginning of like, you know, making sure it feels safe and you're talking about, um, you know, what where what you want to be held to. Like, I think giving that person an all access pass is how I like to refer to it is like, I'm giving you permission to say what you see that I don't see or to say the hard truth. Like, I want you to challenge me and show me things that I might not be seeing. But I think also creating a habit with accountability, whether you're single or dating, to say, we're going to talk before there's an issue. Also after, but right, so often we call after the night we messed up with our boyfriend or we call after we looked at porn again. But what if you created a new habit and even, you know, mental pathway in your brain to say, I'm going to do this first. Like, first of all, we'd make a lot less messes because we would have called them first. Like, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling the frustration. I'm feeling the desire. Um, All of that to where for me, like when we were dating, I think at our like lowest point of like, we need help because we want each other so bad. (laughs) was we both set up an accountability, like this was a friend, like we've had like mentors in our life do it too in different seasons, but this time it was a friend. He had a guy friend, I had a girlfriend named Sarah, and I would text her, hey, we're going to hang out tonight. Every time before, if we were going to go hang out and do something alone, I would let her know we were going to do it. So then she would know that night, the expectation was I would text her everything we did. So it's like on my worst nights when I felt low and I was like, I'm going to let his hands go up my shirt or my hands go somewhere they shouldn't go. I'm like, I don't want to text Sarah that I'm not going to do it, you know, because it was just like, it was like the last thing standing in my way of like, oh, I do not want to say I did this, you know, but it's really inviting the, because it's like, obviously we know the Holy Spirit's there, God sees it's like, but sometimes it's that extra thing of like, I'm going to have to tell Sarah everything I put my hands on tonight. It, it kept me out of it. It kept me out of it. So uh-huh. communicating before, and then I, because I knew I texted her. So she's going to ask me tonight, what time did you get home? Where did you go? What did you do? And it can be fun too of like, he was so awesome. He surprised me with these flowers. It, it's yeah. not just that. And we, we just set up our own parameters. You know, again, we want to be honoring of God and holy, but not legalistic. So, which mean, which ultimately means obedient. So we, we just, you know, we cross lines that we didn't want to cross in our marriage or in our dating life. You know, we never had sex or oral sex, but we touched things we shouldn't have been touching and had pretty intense makeouts we shouldn't have been having. <laughs> so we created rules where, you know, we're just not going to be together after 10, no matter where we're at. Because after 10, nothing good seems to be happening after 10 o'clock. You know, so we started setting up some of those parameters with our accountability partner to help guard so that I could, so that we could keep who we want to be and who we were as the same person, right? Because I think that's too another thing where, where shame comes in is when who you want is, who you want to be is not the person you're actually being. Those two things make it very tough because shame now all of a sudden takes control and says you have an internal conflict 
you're not being the person you said you were or that you told yourself you wanted to become. And shame grabs a hold and we can't connect with the Lord. We can't connect with others. And so that's what accountability does. Accountability simply, you know, Kate said at the beginning, like, what do you want out of this? What accountability can do is accountability will help you actually be who you said you wanted to be and maintain remaining who you currently are. Well, you guys have a very special conference coming up, the Sex, Church, and Culture, which is now an online conference. Was it always supposed to be an online conference? or No. We launched it last year. It was our first year. Um, it's a branch of Moral Revolution that's targeted towards leaders, pastors, people that are in ministry, whether they're vocationally or not, trying to find answers. Right. So we're creating, we did an online conference last April. We did a masterclass, 10-week masterclass this fall, where it was live and interactive. And so this is our second conference. We're moving it online because of everything going on. Last, last year was in person. You said online. Oh, sorry. Yeah, last, well, last year was, was oh. in person. But for those that couldn't make it to Reading, they actually could also watch the live streams online as well. Yes. Yeah, so now this year we are... It's definitely for leaders, but the, the, the way that we've built it this year would actually be incredibly beneficial for people that aren't in leadership. We're basically tackling three topics. With each topic, we're bringing a story and then solutions. So we're tackling marital unfaithfulness and pornography as one. We're going after trauma, like trauma that people have experienced sexually. And then we're going after LGBTQ conversations. So in each one of those, we have somebody that's actually sharing their story and then we have a professional, either counselor, we have a doctor of psychology, Russell Irwin. We have different actual professionals that are coming and then saying, okay, so let's unpack the story you just heard. Here's how we can take the points from their story, mirror it with psychological and counseling principles to then turn it into a life-changing model for your life or the lives of the people you lead. Wow. Powerful. And when is that? So it's April 21st and 22nd. Yep. Yeah, it's April 21st, 22nd. We dropped the price from 60 to 20 bucks. Um, just given that it, um, it, given the situation and, and you know, how it, it, everything's changed. I will make this statement. Um, California is hitting our pinnacle of coronavirus as the day that we're recording this podcast. I don't know what day this airs or when the actual listeners will listen to it. Um, there's a chance we may have to bump it to May because we may not be able to even go in the studio to shoot it in April. Um, so just be paying attention. If you go to the website, moralrevolution.com, or you can go to sexchurchculture.com, they can get information there. And whatever date we're actually able to do it will ultimately be on that website. But yeah, the date right now is April 21st to 22nd. We're just learning in the last 48 to 72 hours. We may even have to change that date, even an online recording we may not have be able to do. Wow. Well, either way, whenever the date is, definitely consider me one of the participants for that. I think it's important and that more people need to be having conversations like you guys are having. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this, inviting us. I mean, trusting us with a crazy topic that a lot of people get really uncomfortable with and for trusting us to come in to speak to to the people you influence. So we're we're honored by that and appreciate your, uh, your willingness to be a forerunner in these conversations. For sure. Kate, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks, Stephen. God bless you. Wow. What a vulnerable but powerful conversation with Cole and Caitlin Sick. 
Guys, check out morerevolution.com for all of the things that they offer, including information about this conference that they just mentioned. I believe it should be available for anyone to purchase and rewatch even past the date. Guys, definitely stay safe, stay healthy, and I'm looking forward to having you join me again on the next episode of the Humble and Honest Podcast.